excited to be back after being off a couple of weeks. I spent a week up in Onaway, Michigan, and you have to be going there to get there because it is a little village of a town uh, almost to the bridge and hang a right for 20 miles. And I got to preach for a dear friend of mine's son who's just doing a, an amazing job at a, a church there in Onaway, and I got to preach and minister, and, and that was a lot of fun. And then last week was just R&R. We were up with some friends goofing off. But uh, I went online and I listened to both of the messages that are part of the series that we're in, Charting Your Course. And I was here for the, wor- the first kickoff of Rick's brand new series, uh, Charting the Course in Worship, and, uh, and then was able to listen online. I'm so grateful for our website, and I'm grateful for those resources. And many of us, uh, you probably like me, uh, offering buckets are going by. I give online. Uh, 30 or 40% of us give online. So uh, that's a wonderful resource. If you haven't heard the messages, go online and listen to them. I want to take just a few minutes to recap because uh, I think that's important, and I want to certainly tie in with the thoughts that have already been shared. Uh, charting your course or charting our course. First of all, uh, I, I love what Pastor Rick said, that uh, the reason that we're here, the reason we're in church, the reason we get together, and the ultimate goal is life transformation. If we are not being changed, if our lives are not being transformed, if there's not change going on, then something's broken and something's wrong and everything needs to come to a grinding halt until we figure out what it is. Because coming together and being Christ followers and being part of a local church is about life transformation. And that really is the backdrop and the context for charting your course, charting your course in worship, becoming a 24-7 worshiper. This is, this is about us as individuals, and it's about who we're becoming as a church. And I like that word becoming because we never arrive. Uh, uh, until uh, this, this side of heaven, we will never arrive. But we're becoming true worshipers. We're becoming those that are engaged in worship and a life of worship and a life of gratitude and lifting up the name of Jesus in our lives and in our circumstances 24-7. And Second Chronicles chapter 5 is a beautiful, powerful picture of the church that we want to become. And that passage Pastor Rick took us to is about the dedication of the temple and how on that day the presence of God invaded so much so that it disrupted all of life. The priests couldn't minister. It just messed and jacked with everything because God showed up. How many of you crave for that to happen in your life and in your church? When Jesus really shows up in power, things get crazy and they get messy and you don't exactly follow the schedule all the time. So that's the kind of church we are becoming. A church that is radical and engaged in worship. Secondly, a church that is connecting. We looked at, at the life of Jesus. He connected with men. He poured His life while He was uh, conducting His earthly ministry. He poured Himself into 12 men in particular. We see the pattern of Jesus. We see the Gospels. We see the book of Acts. We see the New Testament. And we see a glaring, screaming image of people that were connected relationally. And through that connection, life transformation was happening. Just a couple of of things that uh, Pastor Rick talked about there was that connectedness in relationship, and I love this, is about becoming accountable in relationships to help you and me stay on the right path. What a great context 
for relationship that keeps us healthy and it keeps us growing. And it's a safeguard for us. And he used a powerful example of Aaron Ralston who on, uh, in April of 2003, uh, the movie was made after his story how he was out rock climbing. He fell. He was, his arm was caught behind an 800-pound boulder and he had to self-amputate his arm. And the lesson that he shares with the world now is don't try to go it alone. And Rick did such a great job of adopting that to this concept of connectedness, that we need one another. And, and, and Rick is an example of what can happen when you try to go it alone. It's dangerous out there spiritually to be alone. We need one another. We are a church that is growing in relationship and in connectedness. Aaron Ralston, I'm sorry I said Rick. You knew what I meant. Uh, and then number three, serving. That we are individually and collectively a church that's known for serving like Jesus Christ. And, and I, I love the uh, exhortations and the takeaway from this particular teaching that, that we're exhorted to, uh, in terms of service, we're to think deep and not wide. Let's, let's choose an area and, 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 and determine we're going to create impact. So when you think about serving, when you think about connecting, when you think about making a difference, think deep, not wide. Think long-term, not short-term. Think about time, not just money. Yes, our money should be in the kingdom. Yes, we should be invested financially. But it's pretty easy to write a check. We should be invested in terms of our lives and our time. And, uh, and then, I, I love this thought, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Sometimes we don't do anything because the need is so great. And so when it comes to serving, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Because that's going to bring action. And it's going to bring result. And uh, so as we consider this in terms of review, charting your course, worship, connect, serve, and where we're going today, I want to ask a, a question at the outset that my hope is that we internalize this and it helps us personalize this. I, I want to pose a question and I want you to consider for a moment this morning, what would North Point Community Church be like if everybody in the church were just like you in these areas? What would North Point be like in terms of its worship life, individually and corporately? What would the level of, of, of worship experience be if everybody in the church were just like you in terms of where you're at in your personal worship life? Secondly, how about connectedness? What would North Point be like if everybody in the church were like you in terms of how connected you are or maybe how uh, maybe there's a lack of connection? But what would the connectedness be like? What would the re relational value and depth be in North Point if everybody were just like you? And then thirdly, it, uh, relative to our serving, what would North Point be like if everybody were serving at the level that you're currently serving at, both within the church and within the community, what would North Point be like? See, it's very easy to think about the church and talk about the church, but newsflash, we are the church. <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? So considering that question, I think is important to really helping us personalize this because this is, this is New Testament Christianity, worship and connecting and serving. This is gospel. This is, this is 
core, fundamental Christ following, how am I doing? Is there room for improvement? Of course there is. In my life personally, I'm going to be transparent with you right now and tell you I've got room to, for improvement in all three areas of, those, uh, uh, in, of my life. But thank God, this is the church we're becoming. Isn't that a great word? So that's who we're becoming. Let me ask a few more questions relative to our topic this morning. As we talk about charting our course in prayer. Let me, let me ask a few questions. I just read uh, a news article this morning. Uh, it was on the, uh, the, the front page of my tablet. And it was interesting because Florida State University took, uh, you know, they, they took the trophy last year, football-wise. They, they were dominant. They were a beast. And if you're a Florida fan, congratulations. We've got one in here. Very good. You're, out, you're, you're vastly outnumbered, I, if you didn't notice that. But anyway, what was interesting is Coach Fisher who's at the zenith of his game, wins a national champion, can't get any better than that. He's in the off-season, he's reading and he's studying and he's trying to glean from those that have gone further than he's gone so that he can be better. But wow, that's interesting. A guy that, that, that by, from all practical purposes, is at the top of his game. He's seeking other mentors. He's seeking to glean and he's seeking to learn. And this article said that, among others, uh, Zen master Phil Jackson, who uh, arguably is one of the greatest coaches to ever grace the planet, he's amazing. Now, I don't personally subscribe to his Zen uh, beliefs, okay? But the point is that Fisher is looking to him to, to learn something and to glean something because he hasn't arrived even though he's led an, a, a team of national champions. That's pretty impressive. So how about in your life? There's room for improvement. Now, if you, in your financial and investing life, if Warren Buffett, or maybe if you want the Christian version of Dave Ramsey, if Warren Buffett or Dave called you and said, Brad, I, I would love to sit down and spend time with you and just mentor you personally. I'd like to teach you some of the things that I've learned. Help you to understand. Take a look at your finances and your investment portfolio. And if I could be of service to you, I would love to spend some time with you. Would you make time for that kind of relationship, for that kind of input? How about... If you needed some investment capital, maybe you need to continue your education. Maybe you've got a business that you, you need an infusion of cash. Or maybe you're thinking about a business idea and you need some venture capital. Or, or maybe, maybe you want to invest in real estate or you want to invest in the market. Or if for some reason you need some resources that you don't have right now. And Donald Trump called you and said, I'd be really interested in sitting down with you and hearing your ideas and investing to help you make that a reality, would you be open to his input? Would you be open to him partnering and being involved with you? Uh, how about maybe on a, on a, 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 a more of a spiritual, a, a family, marital, relational? How about if James Dobson or maybe Randy Carlson contacted you and said, you know, I, I just, Jeff, I, I would love if there's anything I could do to be of service to you. In your, in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, uh, in, in, in your relationships, in, in terms of family. I, I just, I want to be of service to you. Would you be open to sitting down with James Dobson or Randy Carlson? How about, uh, spiritually speaking, Billy Graham. Billy Graham calls you and says, I would love nothing more, Jason, than to spend some time with you, hear your story, share some of my story, 
and just let's spend some time together on an ongoing basis because I believe in you and I, and I want to see you grow spiritually and, and, and I just want to see you win. Would we be open to that? Would, would we make time for that? I, I think probably most of us would. If, if somebody had intimate insight into your future and they knew things about your future that were accurate, laser accurate, and not only knew about your future, but wanted to give you input about how to strategically position yourself so that you could make the most of those opportunities, would you be open to hearing about that? Would you be open to that kind of input? I think most of us would be out of our minds if we say, no, I I wouldn't be interested in that. In fact, we'd be flat out lying. So let let me pose the question then. If we would consult with these individuals who are, t- who are leaders in their field, why would we not consult regularly the one that invites us into a relationship who is omniscient? He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's, he's omnipotent. These are really big religious vernacular. He's He's unlimited in terms of His power. He's wise. And He invites us into a relationship. Why do we not make time to hear that input? Why do we not make that more of a priority that we could hear and learn and glean. That's the question this morning as we approach our topic in this series, Charting Your Course, relative to prayer. What is it that's more important that gets in the way of that in my life? Because the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. Isn't that amazing about God? Psalm 139 is incredible. It talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb He embroidered us. And it's amazing. It says that He's got a book. And He wrote a whole book about your life before you were even born. Do you think He knows something about your future? Yes, of course. Do you think He's interested in maybe disclosing some of that to us? I think so. And so let's let's, uh, think and talk about this a little bit this morning. I, I, I asked Pastor Rick, I said, so Pastor Rick, what, what is your heart? This, this, this series is on charting the course, and you're talking about worship, and you're talking about connecting, and you're talking about... What is your heart? What do you see for, for North Point it, it, relative to prayer? And I, I love his answer. He said this. He said, my dream for this church, personally and corporately, is that we would move from merely praying prayers to a life that is literally led by prayer. That it's an outgrowth. Of prayer. That everything that we do as a church is born of prayer. It started with prayer. It was a directive of God that we heard in prayer. It's done prayerfully. And it's sustained by prayer. I think that is a great picture of a healthy church. How about you? Yes, thank you. So, let me, let me begin as we, as we really try to wrap our hearts and our brains and our minds around this, around this subject, this topic, this reality in our lives. I want to touch on three fundamental relationships that, that everyone has. 
you, you, you'll find yourself in one of these three categories. I call these the three relationships that we have with God in prayer. and I, they're, they're very simple, and I'll run through them quickly, and then we'll amplify uh, on the third one, because that's really where we want to focus. But there's three relationships that I see that people have. The first is a peripheral relationship. The second is what I refer to as a professional relationship. And then the third is a very personal and intimate relationship. What do I mean by peripheral? I remember years ago, my, my, my second son, Ian, is 21 now. And uh, when he was two years old, we, uh, his, his brother, Austin, and, uh, was a little bit older. Ian was two years old. They were taking a bath together. And I was there supervising the chaos. And there was a small bar of soap. And I was paying attention, but I wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden, in a split second, Ian had grabbed that bar of soap, stuck it in his mouth, and was choking. His, his air passage was blocked. He was choking. He couldn't breathe, and he was starting to turn blue. And what do you suppose the first thing we did? We grabbed the phone, and what, who did we dial? 911. And within seconds, I, it seemed like seconds, it was a couple of minutes, we had EMTs, we had ambulances, we had fire trucks, we had police, we had, we had, everybody was there. And, uh, and fortunately, my son was able to actually swallow that soap, and it opened up his airway. He was fine. But I want to tell you, there was a couple minutes where things were not fine, and he's turning blue, and he can't breathe, and that's, that's chaotic. And I had, among other things, I had a deep sense of appreciation for these people that I had no relationship with had never met before in my life. One phone call and they came out of the woodwork to help me and my family. I was deeply grateful. And let me just pause to say this. If you're an EMT, if you're involved with ambulance, if you're involved with fire, if you're involved with police work, or you're involved in emergency uh, anything in terms of, of hospitals and emergency rooms, could you just stand up one minute so we can say thank you so much for being amazing? Would you just? I didn't plan on this, but if you're involved, stand up quick. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing people. Here, here's the point. I had no relationship with these people, and, and I don't to this day. But they showed up and they were there. And some of us have a crisis relationship with God. We have a peripheral relationship with God. It's really, we could categorize it as a 911 relationship with God. When all hell breaks loose, we say, God, I need your help. And you know the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is He's so gracious to respond to 911 calls. Many of us in this room, we started a relationship with God out of a 911 call. Aren't you glad God doesn't hang up on us? He doesn't say, call me when things are good. I don't want to talk to you right now. No, thank God He is so good that He welcomes the 911 call. That's, we serve a good God, don't we? You know, that's a relationship it's not the best relationship. Maybe you're there today. You don't have to stay there. There's a second type of relationship. I, I call it a, 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 a professional relationship because like many of us, we, we work professionally. And I realize there's some exceptions, but by and large, most of us, our professional relationships are not close, intimate, personal relationships. They're, they're professional. They're casual. They're, they're a little more surface. There's parts of our lives that we expose to our colleagues, but they, most of them don't know about the intimate, personal details of our lives. They don't know about our personal struggles. They don't know about our inner world. Again, there's rare exceptions, but by and large, 
our professional relationships are managed. They're only so deep. And many of us, we could really categorize our relationship with God like that. There's areas of my life I've opened up to Him. There's areas of my life that I've involved Him in, but there's other areas that have a do not disturb sign on the doorknob. There's closets and there's basements and there's attics and there's garage uh, outbuildings and there's, there's areas of my life that I don't invite God into. I'm afraid to have Him involved. Or maybe I think I'm too broken, or it's too dark, or it's too ugly, or it's just, it's too shameful, it's, it's too, you fill in the blank. Boy, if there's anything we need to hear and we need to know is that Jesus thrives on being invited into those places. See, here's, here's the deception. I, I need to, now here's an elephism. We talked about some of these at the, the, the campfire on Friday night. You don't have to have your poop in a pile. I heard a new one. You don't have to have your poop in a scoop. No, that's, not a, that's not a bad one. You, see, many of us, we wait to get our poop in a scoop and then we're going to bring this to God. Then we're going to involve Him in this particular area of our life. It's too jacked right now. It's too broken. It's too marred by sin. It's too ugly. It's too, it's too scarred. It's, just, it's, it's been happening too long. I've got to get my crap together and then I'll involve Jesus. Oh, that is one of the biggest lies the devil has perpetuated on the planet. I exhort you. I, in the strongest possible terms, open your life up to Him in those areas. Invite Him in to those areas of weakness and struggle where you have failed because He's going to succeed where you fail. We're talking about relationships. 911 crisis, professional. Hey, a lot of us are there. Maybe you're there today. You don't have to stay there. You can if you want to, but you don't have to stay there because there's a third level. There's a third relationship. And Jesus Himself articulates this relationship in John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to look at it on the big screen in just a minute. I'm sorry, that picture is so... Oh, good. It's not granulated. It's only granulated to me. You've got a good, clear picture. Anyway, we're going to go there in just a minute, John chapter 15. Jesus paints a beautiful picture of this third kind of relationship that's personal. It's close. It's intimate. And Jesus describes it in a metaphor that's beautiful and rich and meaningful and powerful. And uh, probably everyone, just about everyone here is familiar. Uh, probably everyone. You, you've heard uh, this reference where Jesus says in John chapter 15, He starts in verse 1, He says, I am the what? I'm the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And He's going to go on to describe this third kind of relationship that frankly everyone in this room, your heart longs for. You were created for this kind of relationship. You, your destiny, you were wired for this kind of relationship. An intimate, personal, close, connected relationship that Jesus describes. Let me read it out of the NIV, and then we'll read it out of the message, because it's worded a little bit different. But this is verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What a beautiful picture of relationship. He says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything that you want and it will be granted or done for you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Jesus is connecting not only relationship, but prayer. And He's he's connecting these things together. Saying that a life of prayer is like a vine branch relationship. And when you are in that connected, close, personal relationship... There's, mono, there's dialogue going on. I'm asking you things and you're asking me things. And you're asking things and they're being granted. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty enticing. I, I want that kind of relationship. I'm going to talk about this a, l- a little bit, but I would like that language that if you ask any, see, if I abide in Him, and He abides in me, or His words abide in me. Jesus Himself said you can ask anything. Look at that in the Greek. It's an interesting word. you know what it means? It means anything. <laughs> ask anything, and I love this language, it'll be done for you. You know what? I'm so glad it doesn't say. It doesn't say it'll be done by you. It says it'll be done for you. I like having things done for me instead of me having to do it. And I'll unpack that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But let me read it out of the Message Bible because it's, it's worded a little bit differently and it's, it's, just, it's, it's beautifully worded. And it helps round out this picture. Jesus says, When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is deadward, gathered up, and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. Rick has said in this series, and we've heard it, uh, we've heard it, we're going to hear it, and we're going we're to continue to hear it because it's, it's so true and it's so powerful that life transformation happens best in the context of relationship. And if I had to summarize John chapter 15 in the vine branch relationship, isn't it that life transformation happens best in the context of relationship with Jesus Himself? Absolutely. He uses this vine branch metaphor. He uses this picture. And there's, there's four things that I see about this relationship that I just want to highlight that, that, are, that are true, that are characteristic of a vine branch relationship. The invitation today is to this kind of relationship. Let me just highlight four aspects. First, it's close. Second, it's codependent. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. Codependency often is very negative. But it's close, it's codependent, it's consistent. And it is, it is copious, it is crazy in terms of its fruit-bearing capacity. What do I, what, first of all, the relationship is close. Jesus talks about a vine branch relationship. You can't get any closer 
I in me, I'm in you, and you're in me. That's close. A vine and a branch are connected. They are close. When you separate, you have problems. Forgive me for vandalizing the property, Jeff. I snapped this off of one of our trees on the way in. This is the, this is the picture. This isn't the program we want. This is not the program for fruitfulness and productivity, separation, going our own way, doing it on our own. That is, that's a program for failure in terms of our earthly existence and our eternal existence. Jesus talks about a vine branch relationship. That's close. That's intimate. Secondly, it's codependent, not in a negative sense, in a positive sense. The vine needs the branch, and the branch needs the vine. They need each other. They are codependent in a very beautiful and a very healthy way. Third, they're consistent. A branch is consistent. See, the, the Chevy Volt program of connect for a little while and then disconnect, connect for a little while and then disconnect, that's not a good program for a branch, if you, if you, if you realize that. That doesn't work real well. You're not, you're not going to get the results you want. So the vine branch relationship is a consistent relationship. And lastly, it is, it is a, a relationship that brings copious quantities of fruit. Forgive me, copious C. I had to, all of them I had to start with C and I wrestled a little bit. You can probably tell. Copious, crazy, fruitfulness. These are characteristic of a vine branch relationship. And it's an invitation to that kind of relationship that Jesus extends to us, that our hearts are hungry for, and that we can step into. I had the rare opportunity to take a two-month sabbatical back in 2007. I'd been in ministry full-time for about 22 or 23 years. And I had the opportunity to, to take a break for two months and completely unplug. And it was a rare and amazing opportunity. And my family and I traveled. We went out west. We, we had some great R&R time. And uh, one of the things that I was intentional about during that sabbatical was I wanted to take some time for quiet reflection. And I really took some time and thought about my life. And I thought about the things that went well and the things that didn't go so well. The things that were working and the things that weren't working. And, and then, I, I, so I did a kind of an assessment and looked back over my life and then took some time and just thought about what do I want the rest of my life to look like and be like? And what are the things that I've learned that I don't want to repeat? And what are the things that I've missed that I want to make sure I incorporate? And it was, it was incredibly valuable. And, and John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, became life verses for me during this time. I was reading these words of Jesus and he's talking about this vine branch relationship and, and, and this is how I would summarize it. Jesus is inviting me and he's inviting you into this, into this relationship that's more about overflow than it is overwork. It's more about abiding than it is striving. And that kind of a relationship and that kind of a life and that kind of fruitfulness is, is inviting to me. It's enticing to me. And I said, I look back over many things in my life, I just, oh, I, I just, I regret, I wish I'd done different. So many things that I'd done in the energy of the flesh and in my own wisdom and in my own decision making that I didn't pray about, that God blessed sometimes in spite of me. And I thought, if anything, I want the second half of my life to look more like John chapter 15, verses 5 through 7 and 8. 
And I, I would summarize it this way. In fact, really, here's the, here's the big idea and here's the takeaway from this morning. Is that overflow is always better than overwork. And abiding is always better than striving. Would you say that with me? Just say it out loud. Say, say overflow is always better than overwork. And abiding is always better than striving. Yeah, that's, that's the way to live life. Now when I think about overwork and overflow, and as I was assessing my life, I was thinking about two different... Now, I've, I've bought and sold real estate for, for many years, and my dad was involved in that, and it's just in our blood. And, and, uh, and I was thinking about two different properties that so strikingly... Dem, uh, they, they paint a picture to me personally of overflow versus overwork. The first is uh, I had a deal I couldn't pass up years ago. It was back in 2002 or 2003. And it was a lakefront property on Horseshoe Lake up north. And I had a friend who knew a friend, and, and this, this gal was selling her lakefront property. It needed some renovation, and she was going to sell it on land contract. It was only going to be $3,000 down. I would have to do some of the renovation, so it was minimal, minimal down payment. I was going to buy this for three grand. I was going to renovate it in two weeks. I was going to sell it, and I was going to make a lot of money. It was a great plan. Eighteen months later, and hundreds, no exaggeration, Hundreds of hours invested in renovating, in property managing, in maintaining. In, 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 I, I actually got a call from one of my renters. I got a call from one of the neighbors one time. I didn't, this is the, for the 1045 only. I didn't share this at 9 o'clock, okay? I got a call from one of my neighbors that said, your renter came and took my boat off the trailer and he's out in the lake using it. hate it when that happens. <laughs> if, if you get the notion that this was a lot of work, it was. And I sold the property, one of the happiest days of my life, I sold it for what I had invested in it, having been remunerated zero for my hundreds of hours invested. And I was so happy to have that property out of my life. When I think of overwork, I think of that property. That's the picture in my mind, okay? It's very vivid to me. And then we, later on, the Lord led us, strategically just told us to do some things, and we did, and we invested in some real estate that within several months had increased $70,000. Almost overnight. It was amazing. We didn't have to build it. We didn't have to paint it. We didn't have to maintain it. We didn't do virtually nothing to it, and it... it it just exploded in value. So when I think of overwork versus overflow, I, I think of those pictures in my mind. And, and uh, one of the things that happened, I believe, that led to that was years ago, years prior to that, we took a vacation. We rented a lakefront home. It had a, a swimming dock that had a, a slide on it. My kids were excited. They were all small. They, they just, they, we, we were unpacking the car while they were throwing their clothes off and their bathing suit on and running to swim and get to that dock. And my daughter Juliana, who was, I forget how old she was, four, maybe five, uh, six, I don't, she was really young. She got to the top of the ladder. There was no handle there. She lost her balance and she fell. Thank God she had a life preserver on. She fell. She broke her arm. She fell into the water. 
So here we are, 15 minutes into the vacation. My daughter's got a broken arm. We've got to go to the hospital. We end up leaving. And I called the guy and I said, this is what happened. Your, your ladder didn't have a railing on it. You were negligent. My, uh, my daughter fell. She broke her arm. My doctor's saying he wants to see her back in Lansing, uh, wants her to see a specialist. I said, I'm sorry, our vacation is blown. I'd like my money back. And he said, hit the road. And uh, can I be transparent with you this morning? I wasn't feeling very spiritual. Because I contacted my attorney and my attorney started pursuing this guy because I was incensed that somebody could be, could, could, would try to wrong me that badly. He wouldn't refund anything. We stayed one night. I said, I'll pay for the night that I stayed. Nope, wouldn't give me a dime back. And I really wrestled with that. And I, I went after this guy legally. And the Lord began to deal with my heart. He said, John, you need to forgive him. So John, think of how much I've forgiven you. I want you to forgive him. What are we talking? We're talking about a life of prayer. The Lord began to deal with me. And I've I got I to be honest with you, I didn't respond correctly right away. It took me several months to get to the point where I was willing to give that up. And I finally did. I just turned it over to the Lord. I said, God, I am not, I'm going to drop this. I wrote the guy a letter. I told him, for, please forgive me for you know, pursuing legal. I'm, it's over. You don't owe me a dime. It's all good, blah, blah, blah. As I was invested in this property, the Lord spoke to me. He said, John, one of the reasons this has happened is because of your obedience in this area. I don't share that to put myself on a pedestal. I share that because Jesus is inviting us into a relationship that can be marked by overflow instead of overwork. I've seen it naturally, I've seen it spiritually, I've seen it emotionally, I've seen it in many different areas of my life. Have I arrived? No. But do I want more? Yes. Do I want to gravitate more into the direction of a vine branch and a life of overflow and abiding? Yes, because I see the fruit and I like it. So, this vine branch relationship is is my life, is your life marked by bountiful harvests? Or is your life more a picture of overwork than it is overflow? That's an important question. Let me just walk through Scripture and share a couple of scriptural pictures and then a couple of practical pictures of what does it mean, a life of overflow versus a life of overwork. What is this, this vine branch relationship? What does this really mean? What does it look like? Well, first of all, we look at Jesus because He's our example in everything and we, we consider His life and His earthly ministry. And, and you, you cannot read the Gospels and not read that Jesus was a man of prayer. That He was involved in prayer. That He made prayer a priority. That He would rise early. He would stay up late. All kinds of amazing stuff happened after He prayed. Amazing. I, I think we're going to spend some time in the book of Mark and in September and October and I'm excited about that series. But Jesus, wow, you look at His life. Think about it. From the very outset of His earthly ministry, His first public miracle. In fact, the Bible says His first miracle. It was public. He was at a wedding. What a picture of overflow. They're out of wine. Mary comes and says, hey, do whatever He says. He says, fill all those jars, those six jars with water. You remember the story. Isn't that an amazing picture of overflow versus overwork? They didn't have to go harvest a bunch of grapes and get out the wine press and overflow. Think about Jesus feeding 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. That's an example of what can happen 
when the branch is connected to the vine. Another time he fed 4,000 people. Wow. Uh, Other biblical examples. Professional fishermen are out all night. They're fishing. They haven't caught zip. Jesus says, hey, fellas, why don't you throw your net over the other side of the boat over there? You remember what they said? They said, Jesus, hey, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. Net-breaking catch. We're invited into that kind of a life. Does that mean we're going to have a net-breaking catch every single day of our life? No. But He invites us into a relationship that's intimate, that's organic, that is, that is again, the words of Jesus. If, if, if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we can start to ask anything. It'll be done for us. My, my, my wife hates buffets. She refuses to go eat at buffets. She doesn't like them. Why? Because if we're going to spend the money, she wants somebody to bring the food to her. All right, I heard a lot of amens. Now, I like buffets from quantity, but, I, you know, hey, if you're going to throw down some serious Johnny, you want, you want to be served, you want a good meal. See, done for me is better than me doing it. I can throw a burger on, I can make my own meal, but there's something about sitting down and being, I like that. I think most of us do. That's what Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting us into that kind of life where things that we can't do on our own are done for us. We always play a part. We always have a role. There's always an aspect of obedience. But it's overflow rather than overwork. And it is inviting. Uh, some examples. and we don't, have, uh, we don't have a lot of time. But I want to encourage you. We've been reading through the one-year Bible, many of us. And, but just finish reading the book of Esther. If you, want a, if you want an amazing read, the book of Esther in the Old Testament, regarding one of the most amazing reversals in all of human history. And it's a story of Esther and Mordecai and Haman and King Xerxes. And it's just, I encourage you to read the story. Why? Because the miracle, deliverance, and turnaround came as a result of prayer and fasting. It's so forefront in that story, intentionally by God's design, to see what can happen when people will pray. It's amazing. I want you to read that story and be encouraged by it. But uh, real life stories, you know, there's so many I could tell and time doesn't permit. But uh, I have a friend who is, uh, he's in in, uh, the financial world and uh, advising and investing. And and, uh, I was talking to him years ago. He's achieved a level of success that that really uh, vastly uh, beyond most in that world. And and, uh, I was talking to him one day and he said, you know, John, he said, if I were, he said, I don't tell very many people this. He said, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed at how little I work. And he went on to tell me that several years prior, now listen, this guy has one of the, the hardest work ethics I've ever known of anybody. Incredibly hard worker. And he worked hard in his profession for many years. But he made a determination that he was going to listen to and heed the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, everything else will be added. And so he just determined that at the beginning of every day he was going to put God first and he put the kingdom first and he would seek God fervently and he would go to the Lord in prayer and worship and he would just ask the Lord, God, what's on your agenda? What do you want me to pray about? What's on your heart? And he just, would, he just got into this routine of putting Jesus first, putting the kingdom first. And he said, John, the overflow in my business has been nothing short of amazing 
He said, I'm embarrassed to tell people sometimes how little I work because the phone will ring and I'll make six months of salary in one phone call. He said, it's, it's just, it's gotten to the point of being ludicrous. And there's still seasons when he works hard. But I thought, wow, that's a picture of overflow versus overwork. I can tell many stories. What kind of life do you want to lead? You know, I, I think about my life and I think of two of the most significant things in my life. My, my direction into ministry and the woman that I would marry and spend the rest of my life with. Both of those instances, God spoke personally to me through Scripture. Guiding me and directing me regarding two of the most important decisions and directions of my life. This is the life we're invited into. And so as the band comes and, and we transition and we close here in just a few minutes, I want to give you an invitation to overflow. An invitation to a vine branch relationship today. Incidentally, we've been talking about prayer and answered prayer. Jeff Rouse is here with Frank, his employee. Many of you heard that story. We prayed for Frank last week. and It's a miracle of prayer that that man's alive and that he's in church today. Just an absolute miracle. And uh, Frank said, if you, if you call me out, I'm going to leave. So I had to do that right at the end, Frank. Sorry, forgive me. You, you, can, leave, you can leave in just a minute, okay? Um, but l- let me end with this quote, and then we're going to spend some time just responding. Here's an, here's an invitation to overflow. Oswald Chambers, he writes this about prayer. He says, get into the habit of dealing with God about everything. Unless in the first waking moment of the day, you learn to fling the door wide back and let God in, you will work on a wrong level all day. But swing the door wide open and pray to your Father in secret and every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? Quietly reflect. What kind of life do you want? Do you want a life of overwork? Or do you want a life of overflow? There's there's an invitation this morning. From Jesus Himself. We talked about a a 911, a peripheral relationship, a crisis relationship. If you're there today, I want to invite you to move closer. Maybe you're... You're in a professional relationship with God. You've opened up some areas of your life, but you haven't opened up all of them, and today's your day. This is the invitation. This is the morning. This is the time. Open everything up to Him. And maybe, I know, some are here, and and truly, you have a vine branch relationship. It's not perfect. There's room for improvement. And you just want to go deeper. You want to hear more clearly, and you want to be used more powerfully. Respond to heaven's invitation this morning through the gateway of prayer, communion. And as we respond in this song, I'm going I'm to open these altars and many of you, I'm going to invite you to respond and to come down and just either yield an area of your life or, or just reconfirm that you, wanna, you just want to live out the rest of your days in this vine branch relationship, whatever it may be. But whatever it is, that's standing between you 
and that kind of vine branch relationship and that life of overflow, whatever it is, lay it down. Hand it over. Give it up. And invite Jesus in to the midst of your life to help bring about crazy, amazing, fantastic life transformation that you could never do on your own. Let's worship together.